Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen and welcome to the AMIA Inc. second quarter 2021 results conference call. At this time, all lines are less in early mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Friday, August 13th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Tom Tran, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Anath, and welcome everyone to this morning's call. Today's presentation is available on CDAR in the company's website. Before we get underway, I would like to remind everyone to review our forward-looking statements and the cautions and risk factors pertaining to the statement. With me on the call today are speakers Phil Middleman, AMIA CEO, Michael Lehman, our president, and Steve Leonard, our CFO. Phil will begin with our strategic highlights, followed by Michael, who will cover the performance of our investments before handing the call over to Steve to take you through the results of the quarter. We will have time for your questions at the end. And with that, let me hand it over to Phil. Thanks, Tom, and good morning, everyone on the phone and webcast today. We'll begin with our strategic highlights for the second quarter. We are very pleased with our second quarter and first half results and continue to focus on enhancing the value of our existing holdings while deploying excess capital towards new investment opportunities. DLM continued to perform well as it demonstrated ongoing recovery in its operating performance. AMIA received a distribution of $5.3 million in the second quarter, bringing the total distributions from PLM to $15.1 million in the first half of this year. Our amended shareholder agreement with Aeromexico continues to be honored by the airline, and we expect the agreements to be formally assumed in due course through Aeromexico's bankruptcy process. Cognitive continues to focus on the commercialization of its pass offering and has been successful in securing contract renewals and extensions from major clients while developing a strong pipeline of new clients to onboard their collaborative commerce platform. At Clear Media, we are pleased to participate in the planned privatization of the business, led by a blue chip consortium comprised of Clear Media's current CEO, JC Deco, Jack Ma's Ant Group, and the China Wealth Growth Fund, and we're excited about Clear Media's prospects. Members of the consortium, such as JC Deco, the world's largest out of home advertising company, are leaders in digitization technology. And we expect Clear Media's management team to execute on its growth-oriented plan to digitize its 59,000 commercial panels with the goal of attracting new, higher-margin advertising revenue streams and clientele. With less than 1% of its panels currently digitized, we believe there remains significant runway for digital penetration over the coming years. Since we made our investment, China's economy has continued to recover, and we continue to see these positive economic trends benefiting outdoor advertising sales in China. At Big Life, we completed the sale of our 20% ownership in the loyalty program to AirAsia in exchange for approximately 85.9 million shares of AirAsia and recorded a book value gain of 6.9 million on the transaction. Including our 35.6 million additional shares acquired through a private placement, AMIA now owns a total of 121.5 million shares of AirAsia, representing an approximate 3.1% equity stake. AirAsia and its subsidiaries, including BigPay, which recently announced a U.S. $100 million financing, have been making good progress in raising new capital from various sources, 
and we believe that AirAsia will emerge from the pandemic as a stronger airline, uniquely positioned to capitalize on the sizable pent-up demand for low-cost air travel across Southeast Asia. Moving to our latest investment, AMIA invested $44 million as the lead investor of the most recent funding round for TradeX, an innovative solutions provider to the global pre-owned car industry through its B2B cross-border automotive trading platform at a pre-money valuation of U.S. $250 million. Following an additional U.S. $10 million from other strategic investors in a subsequent closing, our equity stake in TradeX is now 12.3%. TradeX has been growing at a remarkable rate as it expands its market reach to other countries. Gross vehicle sales for the first half of this year have already exceeded 2020's full year sales. And with recent sales volume activity demonstrating strong momentum, sales are expected to trend even higher in the second half of 2021. The company is generating positive EBITDA as it expands its reach globally and has a robust pipeline of acquisition targets. We realize a tax-sheltered gain of $6.9 million from the sale of our investment in JC to Co. At the end of the quarter, at the, at the end of the second quarter of 2021, our liquid public securities portfolio totaled 57.6 million, including unrealized gains up to the end of the quarter of 8.5 million. We also enhanced our management team with the addition of Eric Blondeau as the company's new chief legal officer. Eric has extensive experience in legal matters with particular specialization in M&A and securities law, among other skill sets complementary to AMIA's strategy. Lastly, we established a new NCIB facility to repurchase up to 7.3 million shares to facilitate opportunistic common share buybacks. Over the past two and a half years, we have repurchased more than 40% of our outstanding shares. And with that, let me turn the floor over to Mike to provide you with some further updates on our holdings. Mike. Thanks, Phil, and good morning to everyone. We'll begin our discussion with PLM, where I'll be speaking to the operating performance in USD, which is PLM's functional currency. PLM's operating metrics continue to trend positively as the member base grew 5.9% over last year to 7.2 million enrolled members in the second quarter. Gross billings were 44.4 million in the second quarter, up significantly over last year and up 25% over last quarter as the travel industry continues to demonstrate signs of recovery. During the quarter, gross billings rebounded to roughly 65% of the billings generated during the second quarter of 2019, which was PLM's peak billings period. Revenues were $48.6 million in the second quarter, up significantly over last year and up 69% over last quarter due to improving redemption volumes. Adjusted EBITDA was $12.4 million in the quarter, representing a margin of 27.9%, due to higher unit cost as a result of the redemption mix towards greater air rewards. Further, free cash flow was a positive 24.7 million, an increase of 63.7 million compared to the same period in the prior year. The improvement was mainly driven by the pre-purchase of award tickets of 50 million that occurred in the second quarter of 2020, of which 12.7 million were used during the second quarter of this year. Overall, PLM and the travel industry continue to demonstrate signs of recovery despite the continued challenging travel environment. Moving on to cognitive. For the quarter, revenues were 13.1 million, down 1.3 million over last quarter, mainly due to a reduction in revenue from the Air Miles Middle East business due to lower redemption activity and lower yield. Adjusted EBITDA from continuing operations was a loss of 12 million 
due to lower revenues partially offset by reduced costs and operating expenses. Cognitive continues to make great strides on the commercialization of its business as it transitions towards a higher margin subscription-based platform as a service offering, which incorporates Cognitive's collaborative commerce technology. The company continues to execute on its cost energy plan in order to align with its new business following the sale of the ISS business to IRI, which represented approximately 20 million in annual sales in 2020. While Cognitive's profitability has been delayed due to the recently closed sale of ISS and its continued focus on investing in the development of its collaborative commerce platform to deliver against its growth plans, we are not expecting a meaningful increase in revenues during the second half of this year compared to the first half. Based on Cognitive's business plan, revenue growth is forecasted to significantly improve in 2022 and reach adjusted EBITDA profitability by 2023. Moving on to our investment management business. Revenue for the quarter from investment management fees was approximately 900,000, partially benefiting from a revenue item of approximately 300,000 tied to a one-time performance fee. Excluding this item, earnings were roughly break-even. Assets under management at MIM were 226.9 million in the second quarter, a decline of 5.9% quarter on quarter on a US dollar basis, mainly due to net client asset outflows, offset partially by positive performance of, of its investment portfolios. As part of the company's continued process of investing excess capital to generate superior returns, AMA invested 25 million in pre-con capital partners a private fund managed by middle and mid investment management using a deep value-oriented strategy. And finally, moving on to Clear Media. The planned privatization of Clear Media continues as expected. In July, the consortium, who owns 88.2% of Clear Media Limited, made a voluntary conditional offer with Clear Media to acquire all remaining outstanding issued shares. Following our review of the composite document, we've elected to accept shares and will maintain our 10.85% shareholding in the privatized Clear Media. The transaction is expected to close in the third quarter. Clear Media continues to project materially higher revenues in 2021 compared to the prior year, as indicated in its recent filing, and plans to announce their latest results on August 27th. And with that, let me turn it over to Steve to take you through the financial results. Steve? Thanks, Michael, and good morning to everyone. Let's begin by covering the consolidated results before we move to the segment performance and cash movements in the quarter. In the second quarter, total income was 9.7 million, which included a 6.9 million gain on the big life transaction. Reported expenses were 5.9 million, driven by an increase of 2.9 million related to share-based compensation and other performance awards, which included a reversal of a share-based liability in the second quarter of 2020. Within the holding segment, total income was 8.8 .8 million, down from 9.1 million in the same quarter last year. Total expenses were 5 million in the second quarter of 2021, up from 1.5 million in the same quarter last year. Within total expenses, corporate operating expenses, which includes compensation, professional and advisory fees, as well as technology and other office expenses, were 5 million in the quarter, up 2.8 million in, from the same period last year due to an increase in share-based compensation and other performance awards as previously mentioned. 
excluding share-based compensation and other performance awards, corporate cash operating costs were $3.8 million in the quarter, an improvement over the same period last year of $4.5 million. We remain on track to achieve our targeted annual home co-cash operating expenses of around $14 million for 2021. Moving on to cover the major cash movements for the quarter. We ended the second quarter with total cash of $117.9 million, excluding cash held at precog of $2.9 million, which is now consolidated in AMIA's results, down $16.9 million from the $134.8 million we reported last quarter. The main movements in cash this quarter compared to last quarter were $5.3 million distribution received from PLM, Proceeds of $17.4 million from the sale of our investment in JC to Co, which resulted in a tax shelter gain of $6.9 million. $27.5 million invested in precog and other investment funds. We paid preferred dividends of $3.2 million and related Part 6 tax of $1.3 million. We invested another $4.4 million in a publicly listed security, and we had the corporate cash operating costs of $3.8 million. Subsequent to the end of the quarter, we also made a $44 million investment in Tradex, taking our pro forma cash to $73.9 million. Including our liquid portfolio of publicly listed equities, which had a market value of $57.6 million at the end of the second quarter, AMIA's pro forma cash plus liquid investments totaled $131.5 million. And with that, let me turn it over now to Phil to wrap up with a few concluding remarks. Thanks, Steve. AMIA has been successfully transformed into a lean, opportunistic holding company with an exciting portfolio of investments. 2021 is shaping up to be an exciting year, highlighted by the positive developments in our various holdings. We remain focused on delivering long-term value for AMIA stakeholders. Before we turn to questions, I would like to say a few words about PLM. As we have said from the beginning of the Aeromexico bankruptcy process, AMIA continues to actively monitor the Chapter 11 proceedings and engage with all relative parties, relevant parties to ensure that AMIA's economic interests are well served. PLM is a highly successful frequent flyer loyalty program that we believe is integral to the continued success of Aeromexico. As the bankruptcy process continues to evolve, we will not be commenting further on those proceedings during this call. However, we look forward to providing an update at the appropriate time. Operator, that concludes today's prepared remarks. Please go ahead and prompt the questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star, followed by one on your touchdown phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two, if you're using a speakerphone. Please lift the ha your hands up before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Phil. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I was, I was going to ask a detailed question on PLM, but maybe I'll back off a bit. Um, I do want to ask one, though, in terms of, you know, last quarter we talked about the motion to be held in the bankruptcy court in May. I guess just to soften it up a bit, maybe I'll just ask, can you update us maybe on the next procedural hearings we should be looking for in terms of timing, what they might entail? 
Yeah, Brian, I understand. Um, you know, we, we, we mentioned the, the shareholder agreement and the participation agreement will continue to be honored by the airline. You know, we expect the agreements to formally be assumed through the process. Um, you know, all we can really say is we received, you know, over 15 million in dividends year to date, and we're very happy with the ongoing recovery PLM. But as, as we said earlier, unfortunately, we aren't going to be commenting any, any further at this time. Okay. Uh, I'll switch gears to cognitive spend. There's some new disclosure, obviously. I have a couple questions on that. Maybe just update us on what's changed you to, to push out your forecast to achieve positive data 2023. And then you've disclosed this new round of financing this year. Maybe any color on the amount you're looking for, presuming it'll be private, and how this might compare to your prior, prior valuation of $525 million. Sure. Um, well, first of all, we sold ISS, uh, Cognitive sold ISS, which moved the profitability goalposts. Um, you know, that company did about 20 million in annual revenues and was, was profitable. Um, XISS, Cognitive continues to be focused on investing in its collaborative commerce platform. You know, we're seeing renewals of existing contracts, we're seeing new client signings, and we're seeing the pipeline strengthen. So we're, we're very happy with what we're seeing um, develop at Cognitive. In terms of the, the funding question, Cognitive is engaged with its bankers to provide the funding it needs, and I, I can't comment any further than that or provide any other details at this time. All right. Um, maybe just one question on this $25 million uh, pre-COG investment. Just help me understand why this is being done under the middleman umbrella, and how does that long-term value-oriented strategy differ from that of Amos? Sure. You know, Precog is a, you know, understand we own, you know, middleman investment management. So Precog is a fund managed by them. So effectively, you know, we own the, we own Precog. It's a way for us to deploy excess capital into a fund we manage. Um, Precog takes advantage of opportunities in the value space um, by investing in that fund. It also enhances the marketability of the fund. So we can attract additional capital to yield, you know, additional income for, for AMIA. In terms of the strategy, it's a, it's a concentrated fund and invests in companies with, with similar characteristics to what we seek at AMIA. But m probably most importantly, the smaller early footholds in some of these holdings can lead to larger investment opportunities, which is exactly what happened with, you know, Clear Media and, and Village Rocho for, for AMIA. So, so it's, a, it's a really good use of excess capital into, into a fund we manage. Okay. And then, uh, Mike, you mentioned the August 27th results on Clear. Um, previous conversations, you've made disclosure on the EBITDA potential. I think you said it could maybe double the five-year average. Uh, any change to that outlook with the digital transformation or still that's uh, the goalpost we're looking at? Yeah, you know, um, thanks, thanks for that question. So uh, we continue to be extremely excited about Clear Media and the, and the prospects to not only grow its, uh, its market share as uh, both China economy rebounds and, and they kind of refocus on digitization. So um, we, we acquired these shares at, at about five times normalized EBITDA and, and feel that, that um, uh, the EBITDA and the cash flow uh, margin can continue to expand. Uh, the digitization platform is, is certainly a way to do that where we can see um, multiples earned from a, a similar panel uh, through digitization as well as increased profitability. Uh, the, one of our partners in, in this, in this uh, portfolio holding, J.C. Deco, are, are showing that and, and have shown that for, for 20 years um, through, through their public holding. Um, so we continue to be extremely excited about the, about the prospects. I don't think anything has materially changed with regard to the digitization uh, sequentially. And, you know, this is going to be a, 
a, a focus, uh, a multi-year focus. Um, and, and it's not going to be in, in every city uh, that, that they have panels in. There are, there are some cities and, and some locations of, of, uh, of bus shelters that, that just don't um, uh, need uh, the increased spend. Uh, and and uh, and and they won't, you know, customers won't pay for it. So so uh, so not all the 59,000 panels are going to get digitized. We we can imagine. So um, we continue to be really excited. No no change, no material change. We should see. Um, I, I don't think this quarter they're going to they're going to speak to a material change in in the plan. And you know it's probably going to take six to 12 months even just to get it going and the planning to get going. Um, you know and and who knows there there could be a backlog and and some issue just. Just getting new panels, right? With uh, with COVID, it seems like every, every part or electronic product is is, is backlogged a little bit. So, but uh, again, this is a multi-year plan. We think over three to five years generally with all of our investments, and and uh, and that's what we're focused on here. Very good. Last question for me um, for Phil here. That fairly decent investment in TradeX. Maybe walk us through the opportunity there. I'm just wondering, is it being positive or negatively impacted by the current ship shortage and maybe, you know, the end game to monetization of this, uh, of this opportunity? Sure. You know, this is, we're very, very excited about this investment. You know, the international auto trading market is, it's highly fragmented. It's got a lot of issues, you know, buyers and sellers. It's tough for them to recognize where the inventory is. Um, it's hard to figure out the per unit valuation metrics. There's logistical costs. The processes are often unknown to the parties involved. You'd be surprised that only 1% of dealers um, know how to, how to trade cars internationally. There's currency risk. There's need to head to currencies. There's inspection issues. And Tradex solves all these issues through its technology platform. It gives buyers and sellers the ability to transact fluidly and efficiently. And, and their blue chip roster of clients love the services that they provide. So we think it's a great business. Um, it's unique. We see uh, a lot of runway for organic growth, and there's a lot of potential growth through acquisitions and by applying that same tech platform to other verticals. So we're we're very excited about it. In terms of in terms of uh, you know the valuation, the company's growing extraordinarily fast. It's expanding globally, and, and it's already achieved EBITDA profitability. So we're very happy on that front as well. In terms of um, your question on the exit strategy, I mean, like, like any investment, this is early, obviously, but there can be an IPO, there could be a sale, this could become a big dividend generator for us. It's a very attractive SPAC target. I mean, you, you, uh, it, it runs the gamut of, of, of possibilities in terms of what the exit strategy would be. Um, in terms of the chip shortage question, you know, the prices of these cars doesn't, you know, really matter to Tradex. It's really about unit volume. So even if the market softens, we're, we're gaining material market share. Um, and we're hearing, you know, we're seeing, again, a very, very uh, high-end client base choose them over over competitors, and, and that process is accelerating. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thank you, guys. So, Brian, ahead, if I could just add, add on just a if I could just add on a, a quick a quick moment. So so with, with regard to the chip shortage, because there there's a there's a lot of speculation in the market that that used cars because of the chip shortage, there's a there's a huge price increase which which we've seen. There, there's also increasing demand, right? Um, uh, which which is which are all factually accurate. But you have to remember that that we we are really a small continue to be a small player even even just in North America. So, so even if the used car pricing reverts to the mean, we're gaining significant share, and we're also just uh, just only entering additional trade lanes globally. So, so we should be able to not only dramatically expand uh, throughout North America 
and 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 uh, and and participate in that arbitrage between kind of the loony and the USD, but but also um, as as currencies fluctuate globally, um, there there's an arbitrage between um, you know uh, North America, Canada, and US and Europe and Asia um, and and other continents as well. So so we should be able to uh, grow exponentially even even as as used car uh, prices uh, moderate as as we expect candidly. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Your next question comes from Drew McReynolds with RBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Good morning, everyone. Um, Brian, Brian addressed four of my four questions, but I'll, I'll, I'll follow. <laughs> I'll follow up with uh, follow up with a few things. Um, so, just first on uh, cognitive. Um, Great, great to see a little bit of a target out there on the 2023 adjusted EBITDA. And I, I think I understand all the puts and takes there. Um, maybe Phil just uh, or Mike comment on, uh, I guess, the scalability of, of, of this platform. It, it would appear, you know, one of those kind of inflection points and in, in profitability that, that scales kind of quickly. But maybe just comment on um, how, how that uh I guess inflection point and adjusted EBITDA kind of plays out in, in and around 2023. Uh, second on um, Tradex, I mean a similar question, frankly. Um, you know these kinds of platforms would appear to have a similar characteristic on scalability. So just curious on on the Tradex. Good to see it positive EBITDA, but presumably uh, uh, goes upwards and, and onwards from here. And then lastly on the buyback, um, seems you're not finding difficult challenging uh, to, to, to redeploy capital out there, but uh, just updated thoughts on the buyback would be great. Thank you. Sure. Sure. Um, I'll start and Mike, you can, Mike can chime in as, as needed. Sure. Um, I think, um, you know, with Cognitive, these are both Cognitive and Tradex, both share that, as you say, they kind of share that, that quality where it can scale very quickly without a lot of capex. So, you know, there's, there, particular, particularly with Cognitive, um, what you have is a you know a platform you know operating in the cloud where people are, are transacting and, and whether you're transacting you know 100 million dollars or 100 billion dollars it's not like you suddenly have to go hire you know 50,000 people so so this scale they're very high margin and very scalable and so what you're seeing with cognitive and it, you know it's masked by the losses and I know people look at the losses and they go God but if you if you look at a you know a tech company that that are at this stage of of where they are, this is eight years of heavy investment and and you know acquisitions along the way to get to the point where they're creating a new. It's a new business. I mean, this is collaborative commerce is a new business, and I don't know if anyone's been following, you know, but but it has been, you know, doing what I guess we would call heating up, and people are talking about it. There's, you know, a comp or two out there now trading at very high valuations. So you know, collaborative commerce is something that you have to go. It's not like you go out and you say, hey, you know, I want to sell you this, this piece of software installed on your computer. You have to convince people to trust you with their, their, you know, their product offerings and transact with them and to take somebody, you know, take somebody's hotel room and pair it with somebody's car and pair it with somebody's, um, you know, any, any other offering that, that enhances the saleability of that, of that offering. And, and so there's a big trust issue. So. When you get to where they've gotten, you know, and where we see them getting now, it's incredibly exciting. So I think that I think it feeds on itself, and you'll see, you know, once you see major clients signing up, and we believe that is coming, 
um, I think that you're going to see a, a knock-on effect of people trusting and being more confident. And so it should be one of those things where you see not only it scaling, but it's just feeding on itself as it grows, and people get excited and more confident. And, and frankly, people don't know what they do. People are learning. I mean, they're going to people, you know, blue-chip companies, Fortune 500 companies, and saying, here's what we can offer you. And, and the typical response is, how can you do that? That sounds amazing, but how does that work? And, you know, convincing a Fortune 500 company how it works is not an instant process. You know, it takes it's a year of endless meetings and back and forth and demonstrations, and then they have to trust that you can actually, you know, convert their, their, their points to the proper currency and transact. And they have to, So there's so many things that go on. So, so we are seeing um, a very different picture than, than just the losses represent, and we're very excited, and it is very scalable. With with regard to TradeX, we're seeing, you know, it's the same type of thing, except TradeX just, you know, is exploding and at the same time, it's one of those unique things where it's already EBITDA profitable, which is very rare um, at the company at this stage of growth. But that really answers your question about, you know, scalability and profitability, because if you're seeing it at this stage, it's only going to get, you know, better as, as growth continues. So the, the, the management team at TradeX is is very dynamic, very smart guys. Um, we see a lot of growth potential there in, you know, organically, and as I said, through acquisitions and through expansion into other verticals. And they have this technology they call the brain, which is a patent-pending uh, technology that they have uh, developed, which, which it creates enough data. There's a whole separate business model here where they're going to be aggregating data that is going to be very valuable to to the market as well because they're actually going to be transacting in these vehicles they are going to be you know inspecting them they have partnerships with you know all the key logistics players so this is a, a very exciting uh investment very scalable low capex um and you know they both the, both of those companies share similar uh qualities in that respect with um you know before i go on to the buyback mike do you want to Anything? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a few things. First, on on Cognive, um, you know, th this this the development of the peer to peer platform that 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 they're working on um, is really focused. And uh, the way I think about it is is in two different ways. First of all, they continue to build out the the tech platform, so it becomes it's becoming better and better for for the branding customers for the for for each side of the peers, right? And 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 second. Uh, the the peer-to-peer -peer platform. This is going to enable businesses to to reach a new reality. The ability to personalize, to engage, and to optimize services for their customers is is uh, is nirvana for for each large brand. If if you think about it, right? I mean, you know, a large hotel brand and a large credit card brand, or 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 something like that, where where rather than going through the middleman and everybody earning 40% margin. All of a sudden, you can go peer to peer, and and you can you can share these terrific customers without degrading each each uh, each brand, any of the brands. So it's um it's a it's a terrific opportunity, and and candidly, this is a disruptive technology that's going to take time to get fully adopted, as as Phil mentioned. Uh, but the concept of the peer to peer collaborative network. Uh, throughout the market is being extremely well received in the market. So, so and and with any software or or you know pass program, uh, the margins are are software margins. So once this thing's built, 
will be able to load people uh, and, and brands on it, and, and the margins are, are, are extremely high. Um, and just to comment on, on Tradex, um, you know, the, the, the brain technology, this platform that, that builds, that, that essentially enables buyers and sellers to recognize where the inventory is, and, and the ability to transact based on, on you know, um, real unit values and, and a history of unit values, that's, that's so material. Because if you go out there and you talk to uh, an end market um, customer and, and they'll say, listen, I, I need 100 cars now because I've got clients that, 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 that want to purchase them and, and I don't know where to get them right now. And, and I actually don't even know what the with the transactional price is because because it's it's opaque it's it's kind of in the shadows so what we're going to have is we're going to have this this data collection this feed um, that that shows what the historical pricing is for for certain cars for certain ages for certain types of cars for certain quality of cars and and that's that's you know data is is king right so so we feel that that the platform and the data are are going to be um, Kind of transitional, right? That that we're going to be able to sell other things um, in addition to cars in in a in a in a different vertical, as Phil described it. And and uh, and and to your point, the margins are extraordinarily high because once we load the information on the platform, then the customers are doing um, a lot of the work for us. They're going in, they're searching, they're buying. We've got to execute in the middle. We get paid on the buy side, the sell side, as well as the logistics, logistics aspect. Uh, but it's it's very very profitable. So uh, back to you, Phil. So um, and in return, in, uh, in regards to the buyback, you know we we love buying back our stock. You've seen us buy back over 40% of our shares over the last two and a half years. I would just say that that you know we're opportunistic, but there's a lot of of um, you know variables that go into our decisions, our cash needs at the time, our projected cash needs, things we're considering, whether or not we're in a blackout, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we will always continue to make opportunistic purchases when, when we can and want to. That's, that's great. Uh, great commentary, both uh, Phil and Mike. Thanks for that. And it, it sounds as if uh, both Cognitive Tradex are, are market efficiency solutions. Last time I checked, uh, Gravity will be on their side. Yes, yes. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Tran, you may proceed. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's call and webcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to Investor Relations. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.